Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to this week's episode of The Boundless Show. I am Lisa Anderson here with you again, and I'm always privileged to be with you and have these conversations with you. A special shout out to those of you who are brand new listeners. If you don't know, this show has been around for 15 years. Can you even believe it? So in your free time, please hop back uh, to some of our earlier episodes and check them out because I think you'll get a kick out of them as well as probably getting some great advice because we have had so many people on to give that kind of advice. Speaking of advice, later on for our inbox, we have a listener who is wondering, what do I do if my best friend doesn't like my other friends? Well, this is a little bit of a sticky situation. So one of our fantastic counselors is going to come in and answer that question. And then for our culture segment, Dr. James Reeves is a pastor. He has created something called the Fearless Series to help those who have been sexually abused. And in particular, uh, in his church, he started what he calls Hospital Church, which is really a way of uh, creating and training other churches to be welcoming and supportive and encouraging to those who have walked through trauma and various forms of abuse. So this is going to be a super encouraging conversation with a lot of practical advice. All right, but first, our roundtable, I want to welcome Brittany, Sterling, and John. Hey, y'all, good to have you here. Hey, Lisa. Okay, well, we're going to have a conversation about being involved in a friend's dating relationship, and that's a very nice way of saying getting up in someone's business, (laughs) both in good and maybe some sketchy ways, like when it's like, oh, I have concerns, or maybe just being that person who's in the sphere to have other eyes on them and make sure that they're not getting lost in this relationship. We've talked about that a number of times here at Boundless. And so um, this is going to be fun because we have got uh, Brittany who's engaged. We were just talking before we started taping about like she's coming down to the wire here, like just about a month and a half to two months, really. Um, We have Sterling, who is married, though a youngster. So um, he... (laughs) I love I love calling, you know, people youngsters. So um, and then, of course, John and I, Boundless Team uh, members are single, but that doesn't mean that we don't just mess with other people's lives <laughs> and relationships. OK, so we're not we're no strangers to that. So. All right. Well, let's jump right in um, with this conversation. So I want uh, I want to kind of throw it out there and say, are you you know, OK, first of all, Let's let's start in with with Sterling and Brittany. Let's get your situations, you know, here on the map. How long have you like how long did you date or, you know, because now, Brittany, you're engaged, but whatever the dating season. And was it something did it play out how you thought it would as far as other people's involvement in your relationship? Who knew about it? When? When did you start talking to other people about it? Did you have specific conversations with people about who is this person? What's their story? Blah, blah, blah. Give us the scoop on that. Well, I've been with my fiance for over two years. So we got engaged at about like two years into our Mm -hmm. relationship. Um, With us, things happened pretty quickly because we're from the same town. So we met and then instantly had a connection. Day two, met my entire family, Christmas caroling at old folks' homes. And <laughs> literally day two. <laughs> literally day two. Like I met him wow. Monday, Tuesday he's Christmas caroling because <laughs> okay. he knew my other friends. Okay. And so everyone was like, oh wow. like why don't you come along? And okay. um yeah, within ten days we were together, committed to long distance. So everyone was very involved and I think I wanted it that way because in the past people were involved but I should have listened to more of their opinions okay so so there was some learning this time around yes okay that you applied Mm -hmm. so that's good I mean one way to do it is just invite that date to some old folks homes you gotta just throw them into the mix (laughs) like why wait like let's really see if this guy is that's, all of it that's good so. advice sterling how about you uh well i met my wife at college um and we knew each other for just about a year before we made it official and started dating um we were aware that we had feelings but we were kind of just putting it off and trying to get to a better point in life um i was pretty young just got out of high school so i was trying to have a little bit of foothold into college life and being a, a young Probably adult yeah. before i started something new um we dated for almost four years. We got married in 2019. 
Um, so we've almost been married for four years now. Wow. Um, coming up on surpassing our, our, our marriage being longer than our dating relationship, uh, which is awesome. We were both super heavily involved in a youth group at the time, like a college-age youth group, uh, where we had a lot of uh, community and intentionality on having people to talk to and be accountable with and support and encourage you. Uh, and so that was a, a big part of our dating relationship um, was having specific, like I had a specific men's group and mm -hmm. she had a, a small woman's group of like two to three people each mm -hmm. uh, that we reached out to for support and encouragement and advice and accountability as mm -hmm. well, um, just to make sure things were running smoothly. Yeah, um, yeah I, I think that was really, really beneficial, mm -hmm. but there's things I would uh, hammer harder on and things I would not do again if I had the chance. <laughs> okay, well, we'll maybe circle back to a couple of those things. And actually, you probably can venture this in this question, Sterling, because um, I want to throw this out to everyone. What would you say, as you've seen people in relationships or relationships of your own, what are some of the common factors, either expected or unexpected, that people find, either problematic or not, as far as like having other people in your relationship? Like, what do you see happen that maybe people should be aware of? And maybe to illustrate, I'll, you know, I kind of alluded to this at the beginning. One thing that happens that everyone says is not going to happen is people kind of start dropping other friends mm -hmm. or other responsibilities or other, you know, all of a sudden it's like, well, I'm hanging out with my boyfriend too much, so I can't go to small group anymore, or I'm not going to serve here, or I'm going to do, and you just like gaze into each other's eyes and it becomes a little too exclusive and a little too mutually like, you know, hey, it's just us against the world. And so I think that's something that no one ever feels that's going to be them. And then it just kind of like sneakily yeah. ends up being in that space. But what else have you guys seen as far as things that could just be problematic that could really benefit from having more people involved? I definitely have seen the rose-colored glasses scenario. Oh, I'm thinking of a friend of mine who early on in college was dating a girl. It probably lasted, I'm thinking back through, maybe a month, month and a half, but he was very much infatuated with this young lady. And she was cool. He was a terrific guy, but I just remember when he found out she was actually talking to someone else and didn't tell him, um, he was devastated. Mm -hmm. And so rose-colored glasses to a point of infatuation is definitely a trend that I've seen as well that nine times out of 10, or I would even raise it up, 95 times out of 100, sadly, can lead to some big, big disappointment. Mm -hmm. That's good. Yeah. So so like I mentioned, we were part of a, a college youth group. And so there was a, a community kind of built up around us that we had in place before we started dating. So it's a, a mixture of function of routine and personality. Um, I am an extrovert and I love hanging out with my, my close group of friends. Uh, so I didn't fall into the pit of being too exclusive um, with my time with her. Uh, we definitely took a lot of time alone together, uh, but not at the expense of regularly scheduled events and um, community stuff. Uh, it, it was mainly extra time tagged on that honestly often ate into my sleep time mm -hmm. <laughs> or my chore time or, you mm -hmm. know, just getting uh, life activities caught up. I would also say I probably fell pretty heavily into that rose-colored glass uh, infatuation. Mm -hmm. um, and that's somewhat to do with values, again, somewhat to do with personality. Um, I am a very monogamous person by nature. Um, and so I don't have a lot of considering my options. Mm -hmm. So it, it made it easier to spend time with her uh, when I had the time and not feel like I was desperate to take away other activities and, and bite into to okay. other b bits of my life to take that time. So you were more like, we've gone on two dates. She's the one. I'm homing in on her. You know, <laughs> sort kind of. of like... it, it was a little while and I kind of was in denial about it. I'm like, I yeah. can't commit too hard because then it'll be really hard to, yeah. you know, yeah. get to a stable place. There's a lot of intimacy to build up and, and waiting and just testing mm -hmm. before I make that commitment. Mm -hmm. But it was, she, she felt immediately, this is the guy. Mm -hmm. And I felt immediately, I really like her and I want her to be the one. I just have to like hold myself and both of us back okay. <laughs> to kind okay. of test it out. All right. Brittany, how about you? I think it can be hard when you have a friend who 
does a decent job time-wise. Like, I'm just thinking of a friend in college who started dating a guy. She'd have Friday nights for her boyfriend and Saturday nights for me and friends. Like, it was very evenly spread between all of the different aspects in her life. Um, But she... It it made it difficult for me because although I would hear about him all the time and I knew that she was still giving me time and attention, I guess, like, and other friends, I didn't spend a lot of time with him, like, Mm. with the boyfriend. Mm -hmm. And I think it created a weird disconnect with us because I'm like, I know about him from what you say, but I'm not actually, like, getting to connect with him. Mm -hmm. And I think that's super important when you have friends that you're close with and you're like well we're going to be going on vacations in the future (laughs) or like you know spending a lot of time I think it's weird to not know someone's significant other and I think it's super beneficial to know their significant other too in forms of like support accountability all of those things like how are you supposed to do that if you don't know the person yeah that that exact thing has happened to me a few times where I I find this happens especially when people meet like via an app or something or they're online or whatever Mm -hmm. they build up like they have all this history and time with this person that has just been digital and then all and you haven't even met the person well then maybe they eventually met them or whatever but then all of a sudden it's like hey here's my boyfriend you're meeting them for the first time and they're like well down the road of like ready to commit to this person and stuff and so i feel like one of the biggest mistakes is not bringing other people into your relationship soon enough mm-hmm. you know and especially people that matter to you or to Brittany's point are actually going to be involved in your life after the fact you know Mm -hmm. that can get kind of tricky because then the other thing is if that person is already super sold it starts getting really hard to give some feedback and especially if it's some questions or some red flags you know which is another problematic element of this I think that can be yeah, hard to hard to overcome. So what would you say? Let's talk about some of that, like getting down to the nitty gritty. Like what are some things that you've seen and maybe some hard conversations that you've actually had to have with a friend or weighing in, whether you're trying to do it diplomatically or maybe you've had to have a straight up like come to Jesus with someone about something. <laughs> what uh, What have you been involved in and or have you seen others have to grapple with? I'm kind of in a situation where I'm dealing with this right now. One of my childhood friends has been dating someone for over three years now. And in the beginning, I remember kind of voicing hesitation. It didn't seem to be blunt. Like it seemed like it started out of convenience. Like they were both in a new place. They both went to college. And then I don't know, like it just they're more friends, it seems like. So I was like, hmm, do we need to pressure this into something more? Flash forward three years later, it had always bothered me. I'm like, why can't I like this guy? Like, I've spent time with him, and every time when I see him, I keep hoping I'll like him more, something will change. I've spent so much time in prayer about it. And I went to her graduation not too long ago, and that was like my final straw. I was like, look, it's been three years. I kept my mouth shut. Like, (laughs) I need to tell her how I feel. Like, they're starting to talk about engagement. I cannot just sit here quietly while they're trying to figure all that out. So I had a really good conversation with her and she was super open and accepted everything. And it kind of ended up being like, well, you haven't spent that much time with him. So like maybe you just need to spend more time with him. Hmm. And in my mind, I'm thinking, gosh, I've listened to everything about this kid for years. I've spent time with him. Anyways, so now I definitely feel more peace about it because I feel like maybe right before they get engaged or something, like I don't know how I'm going to feel, but at least for now, I feel peace with it because I'm glad I spoke up in some capacity because I know multiple people feel that way, but no one told her. Mm -hmm. She was like, no one's ever said this to me, but I don't know why people don't want me to move to this town to follow him. I'm like, well, I can kind of tell you why. <laughs> yeah. So good point. It's been yeah. it's been a really interesting situation to navigate, and mm-hmm. I'm still trying to figure it out. But I feel a lot more peace now through voicing things and through prayer. Sure. I can think of three different times where I have approached someone and voiced concern over a dating situation. 
one was a family member, one was actually a female friend, and one was a male friend. Hmm. And it was very tough. A lot of the time, I always tried to bring it back to, hey, I really care about you as a friend, and I really, really want you to succeed. Thinking back on those conversations, one of them did heed the advice well. One of them took it well and repented. The other two sadly did not go well. Mm-hmm. And they were. it was very, very hard for me to accept when the relationships imploded because, man, I tried to talk to them. I even asked for counsel with other people. Other people were concerned. But that is, for me, the hardest part to accept is, hey, I really care about you. But at the end of the day, I have to submit this fact to God is I can't control another person's decisions. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, it's not very loving for me to sit on the sidelines and not say anything. But I always try to bring it back whenever I do confront somebody. And it is pretty rare that, man, I, I just want the best for you. God wants so much more for you than even I want, Mm -hmm. but please let me share my heart. And so even if God forbid they go off and make decisions that I disagree with, at least I can say, all right, I have voiced this concern out of love. Yeah. Well, I think, John, to your point of of saying you had to have the hard conversation and Brittany, to your point of saying your friend actually received it in the sense of saying like, yeah, like no one really has said this. I think it kind of, it speaks to the fact that people just don't do this. I mean, people aren't willing to really enter into the hard stuff sometimes and be that person. And I do want to encourage folks listening, um, because I think this is very true, that if you are a believer in Jesus, and especially with a friend who is a fellow believer and is in a situation like that, we really are called to speak up. This isn't like you can't pass the buck and be like, I hope someone else is going to see this and say something, or I hope, I mean, you are only doing that person a favor that may in fact affect their relationship with God. I mean, certainly their intimacy with God, um, you know, sin drives a wedge. And so I had to echo what John said. I've had a a situation where it was a friend like legitimately sleeping with her boyfriend. And so it was like, yeah, I need to say something. And and another friend of mine had a similar situation with her roommate um, who was in the same scenario, had that confrontation and they it completely blew up their relationship to the point where her friend was like, I'm not going to hear this from you. And my situation was a little bit more like excuses were made and blah, blah, blah. And we had the conversation several times and it did end up um, in a good spot. But yeah, I mean, it's a hard thing to do. And it's something, you know, that we are we are called to do in that sense. Um, so sometimes you do have to have to put that on the line. What would you say in relationships um, you've been in, even if it's not something like super serious or something super hard, what are some questions that you've been asked or you've had the chance to ask others that are just more about like, yeah, let's figure this thing out. Like what, I want to know something about this person. I want to kind of know, you know, if there's compatibility here, how do I feel about them? How do I feel about their character? What do you feel would be good pieces of advice or questions for folks to be thinking of? Hmm. That, that does give me extra pause. Uh, it's easy to think about the advice uh, that you would give, that you have given your friends and stuff. Uh, it is more interesting to try to self-reflect on your relationship and the advice you've been given because I think I've certainly had the tendency to gloss over that uh, in my memory mm-hmm. uh, and and kind of forget the times I've been rebuked or advised strongly to not uh, move forward on something. Uh, with, with my relationship with my wife, uh, I didn't have friends questioning our compatibility. Uh, she was a Christian, uh, and we uh, spent a lot of time together, and we had so many shared values, and it seemed like it, it was very good. It was a good fit. It was a good match. Uh, but I had good Christian men question me on my responsibility and my commitment to uh, purity and accountability on that front. I was coming out of teen years and, and young adult years uh, experiencing uh, a porn addiction. And that just like adds and brings so much baggage into any relationship, no matter how compatible and healthy you may be. Uh, and so that can leak into the, your emotions and your physicality and all of your intimacy with the, the person you're trying to 
um, decide, is this going to be my spouse? Um, is this going to work out? Uh, and so I had really godly men hold me accountable and say, like, we, we need to make a plan. We need to have you come up with standards that we can hold you to because we're not going to to force something upon you you don't want. Like those those conversations, you have to kind of judge with a, a friend, are they someone who wants to be held accountable? Uh, and so they were they were faithful to ask me. And I said, yeah, that is my goal. The spirit is absolutely willing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just a matter of how do we account for the weakness of the flesh. Yeah. Well, and um, first of all, to be like that honest and that teachable about it at such a young age is only going to set you up for success. To have to invite the guys into your life and be like, I'm pretty sure I can't do this on my own and I'm pretty sure I could benefit from some wisdom, I think is just great advice for anyone to say, make it open season. Let people ask you the questions. Let them, because they're steps ahead of you, especially if they're older guys or whatever, who can really help walk you down that road. So I think that's super wise. Yeah, thanks for sharing. There were pros and cons, but it was a net positive for sure. Yeah, no, that's great. What other advice or scenarios would you say? I think if you're the person who's on the outside looking into a specific relationship and you see some red flags, because the truth of the matter is all of us do have baggage in some way, shape, or form because we've all sinned and fallen short of God, God's glory. But... If you're seeing a trajectory that looks like it's heading for the cliff and you say to yourself, man, I've got to confront this. This is way too serious for me to not say something. This could end up very badly. I know it's standard Christian answer, but at the same time, I have found so much peace in this. And that is honestly just ask the Lord for wisdom. God, how do I talk to this person? Because everybody's needs are so different. One person may need someone to literally get up in their face and really confront them seriously. Another person may just need a gentle reminder. And that's where the Holy Spirit comes in. I love James 1, 5. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all generously without reproach, and it will be given to him. And I remember one time where I did confront a friend of mine who was in making some concerning decisions regarding a dating relationship, so much so that another friend actually told me about it. And I was going to confront him on it, and I was tempted to get very mad. I was tempted to be very upset. And the more I prayed about it, I remembered his story. And I remembered he had an amazing story of God's redemption. And I actually brought that up to him. And rather than confronting him saying, you need to stop, you need to quit doing this, I reminded him of his story. And I said, do you really think that if you were to look back and see how faithful God has been, that it's worth throwing it all away? And he looked at me and he said, no, I don't think it is. It's really touching to remember that story because, hey, sometimes that's what we need is just a gentle reminder from somebody else. But definitely take it to the Lord if you see an issue and pray through it and even be willing to call a counselor and talk it out. I think because I do just or I had a habit of throwing anyone I dated just into the fire right away. Like, here's all my family. Here's all my friends. People were always really involved in my relationship, probably like to an unhealthy point, which definitely shifted when I met my fiance, because although I did throw him into the family mix, there were more boundaries in that. But I think because he is in the Air Force and that doesn't set you up for the most normal life, I had a lot of people speaking into my life that didn't really know me completely, didn't know my fiance at all, maybe knew somewhat of what we'd been going through, but just made really rash judgments or would give unwarranted advice that I would really take to heart. And something that my parents and actually one of my friends here would always tell me is like, take to heart the advice that people who know you are giving you not Mm -hmm. people from the outside who look at your situation and think they know everything about it um and that's made the world of a difference for me in the last few years because i know what i'm getting myself into i know that i'm going to be moving and that's something that i've had to trust in the lord in and like figure out on my own so i think relying on a close group of people who know you and the other person best and letting those people be the ones that are the loudest voice aside from God in your relationship. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I think that's such great advice. And it actually makes me think of how, you know, we always go to like the dire scenarios of something that is, is involving sin or whatever. But I think it's so valuable to just have conversations with people, especially as you're dating, engaged, whatever, with married couples that you trust and respect, just asking about normal things like, you know, the fact that if you're dating someone who's a super spender and you are crazy about saving money and whatever, you're going to have some conversations in your marriage that you need to be prepared for because someone is going to get angry a few times. <laughs> and I don't know who that's going to be, but my, probably both of you. Um, you know, and some things are just, they're going to create little bumps that aren't insurmountable, but they're things to think of. And so having those conversations, you know, it could be preferences on a number of different things or different uh, worship styles or different, you know, where are you going to go to church? So all those conversations, I think, are so good. And so, um, Brittany, your point's a good one of like, yeah, you don't have to take advice from everyone and certainly not, you know, don't waste your time wading in and worrying about what's being said on TikTok or the latest, you know, episode of The Bachelorette or whatever, but find those people that you really trust and care about. And I think you'll be um, off to a good start. So you guys, thanks so much for weighing in. Awesome thoughts. Thank you, Lisa. We are here for this week's culture segment, and today we are going to talk about a pretty weighty topic. But as always, when we put it um, under the lens of the gospel, I feel like there's always hope in this. And we have got two great guys here to help us talk through this issue of... um, abuse, basically. So, I mean, you may be thinking, like, you may be clueless. You may be like, you know, oh, you know, I don't think, I don't, that's not me or whatever. Or I had kind of a hard upbringing, but I've gotten over it. Or I've done, you know, you may not have even asked some questions. Or you may be that person who's like, oh my goodness, that is me. And I'm not even sure I can listen to this right now. And so we're going to have a conversation as a springboard to opening up um, some ideas, some thoughts uh, toward a path of restoration and hope and healing for you. And my guests today, I first want to introduce you to Dr. James Reeves. He is a pastor. He's an author. He's a speaker. Um, He got his doctorate, uh, both his master's and doctorate, actually, from Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Um, He's a founding pastor of City on a Hill Church in Fort Worth and leader of the Safe Place, Safe Process workshops and and fearless now really interested in bringing uh, some of these resources into the church itself so um, and really allowing churches to be hello a safe place um, to start bringing some of these things to to light Um, we also have our own Jeremy Keaton here Uh, he is senior director of our counseling services at focus on the family a licensed marriage and family therapist and a friend of James actually and has worked in tandem with him on a couple projects uh, as well so you guys welcome to the show I'm glad to be here I'm glad to to be sitting here with my friend and with you Lisa bringing these important topics thank you so much well this is this is awesome for us we were we're talking a little bit about our audience, about you, the listener, and we always want to make sure that our stuff is super relevant, super truthful and applicable and gospel saturated in this. So, well, James, I'm going to kick it off with you in telling, because this isn't like, you know, you're a Texas dude. You're kind of <laughs> like, it's not, you know, every guy that's like, hey, here's what I'm going to make my life's work. Right. Um, and then <laughs> this is what I'm passionate about, specifically in the area of women and helping women in this area. So tell us a little bit of your background, your story. Mm -hmm. How God gave you a calling for this. 
Well, um, I came to Christ at the tail end of the Jesus movement, hmm. uh, right off the streets. I was 18 years old. My dad was the town drunk and died six months later at the age of 41. He was also abusive to my mother. And so as a little boy, I found myself oftentimes defending her, even as a six or seven year old little boy. And I, I think right there, this thing was birthed in me to be an advocate for women, and I always have been. And when I started this church in 1984, uh, it was a fairly traditional church. But eight years into the plant, we transitioned into what we call a hospital style of church ministry. And that was really out of a really a, a, a time in my life when I had to start dealing with those childhood wounds that I didn't even know were there, the abandonment. And early on, this was 1992, a woman came to us who was a survivor of sexual abuse and was trapped in a lifestyle that was contrary to her Christian morality. But she was honest enough to speak about it. And I told her, I said, I don't know how to do this, but we're going to figure this out. And we did. And she began to heal. I reached, saw her reach out to other women. And we started a ministry to women who are survivors of sexual abuse because of her within mm -hmm. our local church. It was all done right there. And then after about 15 years of watching her minister, I put her on my staff. Yeah. And it's been amazing. Which is so wild because it's so contrary to, I think, so many assumptive things about church of like, you know, this is just for together people. This is for people who like, you know, they've just put everything under the blood. They're just trusting God. Mm -hmm. They're okay. They're, you know, whatever. And so a lot of people will feel like, well, I can't go to church until I get myself together sure. or until yeah. I get some fixing or until I figure this out. Jeremy, from your experience, talk to us a little bit about, because I find these, you know, some of the statistics staggering about the number of people that have experienced abuse on different levels, whether as children or in current relationships, in past relationships. Talk about why, even in the church, this is such a um, a topic that is so cloaked in, you know, just either secrecy or ignorance or, or whatever, like why we as the church haven't been talking about it more. Well, Shame is a powerful tool of the enemy, mm -hmm. and uh, usually abuse, especially in the younger years, uh, if they occur developmentally, you're going to basically interpret that as a problem with me, mm -hmm. or is it was my fault, or I somehow encouraged or deserved or uh, and it twists also the thinking processes. What's normal when you don't have a point of reference if something happens during early development or early sexual development or relational development? Mm -hmm. So abuse by its nature, um, whether it's sexual, emotional, um, physical, comes with a tendency towards secrecy. Mm -hmm. It's part and parcel. And so out of that secrecy, out of that shame, and then the culture of maybe we have to keep it, you know, all shiny and good mm -hmm. in the church, it, it can continue to fester. And it is also difficult to start the conversation. It's mm -hmm. why I appreciate Dr. Reeves's work in a church setting, the term hospital church, that this is a safe place to come in to begin a conversation. You're safe with God's people yeah. when God's people know how to have these conversations in a Christ-like way. Sure. Well, and I want, uh, Dr. Reeves, I want you to talk a little bit about what a hospital church is. But before we do, talk to us, you know, Jeremy, maybe you can just say this. What When we're talking statistics here, what are we talking about, like even within the church of people who've experienced abuse? Because I think my assumption is, you know, one of you could answer this. My, my assumption is that people go into church and they assume they are the only person Mm -hmm. that has walked through some kind of abuse and why would anyone want to talk to them or why would anyone understand or whatever so but you're saying no this is extremely common well before jeremy talks about that let me tag on to his thing about secrecy yeah because i often talk about that 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 there is a there's a secrecy around this subject within the local church that a lot of times people say well why doesn't the survivor speak out to get help well until it starts from the pulpit, until there's something that's going on in the church to say that this is a safe place, they're never going to. And so because from the pulpit, we're not talking about this issue very much, mm -hmm. leaders are not, 
Uh, it's not on their radar screen. So then women who have not had this experience, they're not talking about it because it's not impacting their life. So the woman who has had this experience, she's certainly not going to talk about it because of the, the shame issue. So until the circle of silence is broken, beginning with the leadership, well, then those women are never going to come out. And when they do, we discover that about a minimum of one in three women sitting in our churches mm. will experience sexual abuse by the time she's 18. Mm. Those are not just my numbers. They're, they're numbers that everyone that is in this work understands are very, very real. Well, and let's, I mean, let's just be real. I mean, there are a lot of women who have spoken up and have not been believed. And have not been and treated And we know well. that from, you know, publicity around certain high-profile Christian ministry leaders and pastors and others that there has been, you know, there have been cover-ups within the churches sure among have. leadership. And so I think we have to acknowledge that as well. And uh, and men being yeah. uh, involved, young boys or mm-hmm. men being, uh, the stats are not quite as high, but um, are still present in a, in prevalent. I don't know if it's uh, roughly one in five, one in four for, mm-hmm. uh, for boys and men that have experienced, and even defining uh, abuse yeah. is is an issue, right? And there there is a there is in some sense a a spectrum of very very obvious uh, mm-hmm. abuse, and then there is um, impacts of abuse that would be less obvious, maybe on a lower end of quote severity, but still have very important implications in a person's development in life. And as difficult it is for us really to get a handle on the statistics of the number of girls from birth to eighteen that would be abused. It's twice that difficult for men mm-hmm. because as difficult it is for a woman to talk about it as an adult woman, it's twice that difficult for a man because of the issues of our culture. Mm-hmm. And so we know we're just touching the hem of the garment mm-hmm. when we talk about sexual abuse of little boys and of girls, uh, but also physical abuse mm-hmm. and emotional abuse. That When I speak with men, I've come to understand that the brain really doesn't know what kind of trauma it is. Mm-hmm. It just knows it's trauma. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of commonalities that come out of physical abuse that and sexual abuse, and they had completely different traumatic experiences, but some of the same things happen in their later life. Yeah. And I think it's kind of like, I mean, there are probably some listening here, and I feel like I'm kind of in this boat too, who kind of say like, how is this even possible? Like how, you know, how have we gotten to a place in the church where, you know, there there is the fear of speaking out or there's the dismissiveness around this? But I would imagine, and maybe uh, again, some definitions are necessary here. I, I would imagine it's very easy for people to say like, Okay, well, let's talk about a bad relationship. There's a difference. I mean, I think I was listening to, um, this was several weeks ago, a a program with Lisa Turkhurst, where she was talking about the difference between a difficult relationship and a destructive one. So clearly there are signs of, you can't just have everyone, you know, like, well, my husband and I disagreed on blah, blah, blah. So this has to be abuse. I mean, we want to be serious about it. But at the same time, when women in particular, others are afraid of even bringing it to the surface in that it's like, well, you just need to work on your marriage or you need to go to a marriage retreat or you need to do, I don't know. I mean, speak a little bit to that of like what it looks like to actually say, here's what it is, here's what you need to know, how we can be proactive in addressing it from the church perspective. Well, and not to shortcut this with a simple answer, but I do want the listeners to hear that we have a series of articles and content to help guide on yeah. and, and educate at focusonthefamily.com slash abusive relationships. Mm. And we define uh, and have articles about recognizing the spectrum of abuse, but really it's a it's a recurring pattern in an emotionally destructive marriage or relationship where calculated use of power and control is uh, foisted or used um, on the individual and more definitions in some of the articles there. But also, sexual abuse can be obviously a one-time engagement. So there's different definitions for emotionally destructive uh, relationship versus, you know, a physical molestation or a physical event such as, um, you know, overused corporal punishment in a yeah. way that is about power and control and dominance okay. and harm. So, um, Dr. Reeves, tell us about 
a hospital church. Like uh, what it, okay. that sounds awesome. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it sounds like something very needed. Right. And so we need to figure out what, what is that a person walking through the doors of, of your church or a church that has committed to this? Mm-hmm. What, what's the experience? Well, one, the first thing I always say to pastors and church leaders when I'm talking about this is this is not a program. Mm-hmm. It is a paradigm shift. Mm-hmm. Culture. Yeah. It's a culture that has to be created. And culture is not created in a, in a box, you know, with a few books and everything. It, it's a, it's an intentional decision to begin small. And then over the course of years, we've been doing this for 30 years in this church, we offer about 30 different types of groups now. We've just, as we discover an area of struggle for folks, then we say, well, there's got to be good biblically-based material out there that we can get for a small group discussion. Mm-hmm. The key here is we say your malady has to become your ministry. So when people come into our church now, folks will bring them in and they may be struggling with alcoholism, they may have just gotten out of prison, whatever it is. I will typically say to them, right now, this malady that you think has destroyed your life, there's no hope for you, if you will allow us to walk you through this, if you will be honest, if you will engage in the process, there will be a day when this will become your ministry. Hmm. An alcoholic who ministers to that new guy who's struggling with alcoholism, who's the best person. So that's the biblical one another process. That's what a hospital church looks like, Mm -hmm. the one another process. Mm -hmm. There are two ways to experience healing. There's the one-on-one process, which is professional counseling. Thank God for professional counselors. The problem is, if everybody got honest, there's not enough professional counselors to help the need. Mm -hmm. The other one is the biblical process, which is the one-another process. Mm -hmm. And all of our work in the hospital church is done in small group one-another, where women get together with a group of women who have had like experience, and they minister to one another. Mm -hmm. Men, in the same way, if they're struggling with sexual purity, then they're with other men that understand that and they're struggling together and they're holding one another accountable and they're the holy spirit is just doing his work mm-hmm. i, I it, it's sad to me that the church the local church is the last place that people are talking about abuse mm-hmm. our culture's talking about it mm-hmm. and our churches are not and we ought to be the tip of the spear what a picture to the community when a church says, we want to be a place where you can find help, hope, and healing, and you don't even have to be a Christian. Yeah. You don't have to be a church member. And what I appreciate, Lisa, about Dr. Reeves and his work in the hospital church model is that they're also inviting uh, Christian counselors, clinically trained and biblically faithful counselors, to partner and to be involved and to help um through the curriculum or be mm-hmm. voices on the curriculums that they're using so we have the best of that uh, integration of, in a sense, psychology and theology mm-hmm. with biblical authority and and able to equip the body of Christ to have a fully orbed, actually helpful discussion because there are some sort of fly-by-night remedies, right, right to right. things that only encourage suppression mm-hmm. or that only encourage sort of the uh, spiritual bypass answer of mm-hmm. forgiveness give and forget, those types of messages um, do not help in an abuse scenario, but actual safety, boundaries, grief, trauma, uh, informed responses for the brain. Mm -hmm. And something beautiful that Dr. Reeves has welcomed is inviting the Christian clinical community to come alongside so that we have the best Mm -hmm. of this integration uh, in what's being shared in the small groups. We have kind of a synergistic relationship with the Christian counseling community in the Dallas-Fort Worth area where they send their clients to our church because they they realize this person needs community. Mm -hmm. And they know it's a place where they can get community without fear. And then on the flip side of it, some of our people will go to some of those that we recommend. So Mm -hmm. it's not a competitive thing, but nor have we abdicated our responsibility to be a church, which is a place of help, hope, and healing, by just referring always out to counselors. Mm -hmm. Dr. Reese said something to me recently that I thought really impacted me, and I thought it illustrated it it well, uh, James, was when you said uh, an individual goes to a counselor and says, boy, I got a lot of healing there. I want to send you, um, you know, this next person I meet in my life to the counselor. That's great. Mm -hmm. 
But the true Christian counselor also upholds the beauty and the intent of God's church. Mm -hmm. What we want that individual is to say, yes, I got some help from a Christian counselor and this church body has been my community. Go to this church. Let's refer people to the church along with Christian counseling Um, rather than simply, I got this in a counselor's office, go see this counselor. Right. Right. Okay. So to that point though, I mean, we can't all just run down to Dallas, Fort Worth. So (laughs) what's this going to look like for the young adult who's listening, who's like, well, what about my church? How do I walk Mm -hmm. in these doors and even start this conversation with what might be needed here? That's why I I created the Fearless Series for Women and the Fearless Series for Men, Mm -hmm. because I realized that we made a lot of mistakes 30 something years ago and we started this we didn't know what we were doing mm-hmm. and we had no we had no tools we had no one to guide us and so along the way we had a lot of potholes mm-hmm. so one of the things that i try to help churches and church leaders is to avoid those potholes so i created the fearless series for women and the fearless series for men for the local church, designed for the local church. And as a pastor of over 40 years, I understand the challenges of pastoring a local church. I understand the challenges a pastor has. And so I designed it in for that environment for them to have a soft entry point into starting these difficult discussions. And it's five videos followed, each one by a small group. And that's where the magic is. After women have been in a room with women, and they've watched these professionals and these women who are survivors of sexual abuse talk, tell their story, and then they get to go into a small group. They can't wait to start opening up with one another and talking about this. Mm-hmm. And if we don't get that first conversation started, how in the world can healing ever happen? Mm-hmm. We, so we have to find, and I created it to be a safe tool for a church to Start that conversation. Mm-hmm. Of course, having Jeremy be a part of the men's series, as Max Lucado as well, who is a survivor of childhood sexual abuse, mm-hmm. that gives it some credibility. Mm-hmm. Nobody knows who I am, but they know who <laughs> Focus on the Family is. They know who Max Lucado is. Mm-hmm. And, and, and with Jeremy's representing Focus, it gives it some credibility. And so I'm really excited about it getting out there within the next couple of weeks. Yeah. But it, it's all about... It really is. It's starting small. Yeah. Just let's start the conversation. Yeah. And if we never do that, we're not going to go beyond this. Yeah. I just want to say that someone has to go first, mm-hmm. whether it's in a family with generations mm-hmm. uh, where a change needs to happen, or um, if it is somebody in the body of Christ, someone, someone goes first. And after that first answer, mm. the the ability for others to see safety and to see and to raise their hand to and to begin to talk, mm-hmm. even put their toe in the water and begin to consider that, oh, I may have had impacts mm-hmm. from this thing that I have tried not think about for several decades right. in my Try life. And the freedom that can come from being there as a body of Christ for one another, the freedom in the meeting with Jesus is um, profound. And I, I, I want to say that the listeners need to hear and if there's somebody in the audience that's like you mentioned at the beginning of the program that's really almost fearful to be listening to this topic because they just don't want to go there Mm -hmm. i want to say jesus is safe Mm -hmm. and the body of christ can begin to be Mm -hmm. that image of jesus to individuals Mm -hmm. Um, I know that's important in my own story and in my own life to have that safety to begin to talk and out of malady becomes ministry, which is, Mm. you know, where uh, some of the counseling that I'm able to do or things I've written and and aspects of of work happen. But I couldn't go there and do that ministry if I didn't have somebody introducing me to Christ in my own journey, even as a trained counselor, to be free to speak in those areas. Yeah. So in our kind of just in the last minute or two that we have here, talk about what does it look like for a person to go first? So for, you know, because I, again, I'm thinking of friends that I've had Mm -hmm. who are like, the best way for me to heal is to forget about this altogether and start somewhere new and don't talk about it ever. And maybe mm-hmm. if I just get distance from it, that's where I'll get my healing. And the thought of reopening wounds, especially if they were long in the past and you feel you've buried them, is a very scary thing. So yes. what does, especially if you're in a church where you don't feel known, well, what does that look like? I'm going to say something that probably is going to be controversial. Um, but I'm 69 years old and have over 40 years experience as a senior pastor. The block in this work happening is not the people. 
it is the pastors. They are the ones that are standing in the way. In my experience, the people want to deal with these issues. It is leaders that are afraid to open that. And when leaders will deal with that and will start this conversation from the pulpit and then provide resources, not just talking about this issue, don't just preach a sermon about it, Mm -hmm. but provide resources. Fearless is only one of many. There are other resources that are there. Then what, what pastors and churches will find is that people will They'll come out. They want to tell their stories. Mm-hmm. I was at a women's conference in Tennessee a couple of months ago with 500 women. I did a breakout session on sexual abuse of women. But I also was an ex- exhibitionist. <laughs> I call exhibitionists. I'm exhibiting the Fearless series. Mm-hmm. And I had 15 women who came to my table and told me their story of sexual abuse, and they'd never told anyone. Mm-hmm. And the only reason they did is because they felt that I was safe. I obviously cared about this subject. And they just, they want to talk about it. And that's where I want to dovetail. I appreciate uh, Dr. Reeves' challenge, perhaps, to his fellow pastors. I have, I hold pastors, we hold pastors in high regard. We know it's a hard job, but mm-hmm. it's also a leadership job. And I appreciate you speaking in that way. And I would just say to the individual out there that might not be in a church where this is fully happening yet, is find that safe place. Mm -hmm. Be courageous to start. It doesn't start by standing up in a pulpit or in front of an audience and talking Mm -hmm. about what happened. It is just to begin the conversation in a small way with maybe it's a counselor, maybe it's a safe elder, um, elder's wife, a leader in the church, uh, but even call us here at Focus on the Family. We would be privileged to be someone to speak with you confidentially uh, on our phone lines here at 1-800-A-FAMILY. And when you do that, Jeremy can put you in touch with me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I am mentoring pastors and churches all over this nation. Mm -hmm. I give them my cell phone number. I am retired from my full-time pastor. This is what I'm doing till Jesus comes. Mm -hmm. I'm training and equipping churches, and I want to do that. So if there's a church leader that says, I want to talk to somebody that knows how to do this before I jump in, I will spend all the time that I need to to help them. I love seeing churches step into this space and watching women and men bloom and blossom in their their walk with Christ, in their marriage, in every area of their life. It is so exciting. And churches that aren't doing really ministering to brokenness in their people are just missing out on so much. Amazing. Well, for those of you who are listening and you may be saying, like, what is my next step? Kind of what we've been saying here. I want to uh, let you know that we are going to provide some links for you. This could be kind of your opportunity to reach out. So we want to link to the Fearless Series for Women and the Fearless Series for Men. Uh, Also to our counseling team that Jeremy mentioned, the licensed professional counselors who are here to give you that direction you may need, even in your own local area, uh, for finding a counselor counselor or uh, talking, as Dr. Reeves said, about what could happen within your own church. And uh, also, we want to make you aware of a book that we have available for a gift of any amount to Boundless this week. It is titled The Wounded Heart, Hope for Adult Victims of Childhood Sexual Abuse, which is by Dan Allender. He's been a guest on our show in the past. Uh, So if you go to boundless.org, you can search for 809 this week's episode. You'll see that book's title and cover right there. You just click on it. You give a gift to Boundless, and we want to send you a copy of this book. Uh, So you have it for more information and really as our gift to you. So, well, guys, uh, James and Jeremy, thank you so much for being part of this conversation, for lending your expertise and really giving hope and encouragement to those who are listening today. Thank you. Thank you. I will trust in Jesus' power. By this power I will endure. Though my flesh may fail, I stand secure. I will trust in Jesus' power.
All right, folks, we are almost done with the show, with the exception of our inbox, which we always finish out with. And we often invite one of our fantastic counselors to the table to weigh in on one of your questions. And that's what we're doing this week with counselor Tim Sanford. Hey, Tim. Hey, Lisa. Always good to have you. I'm telling you, you get to talk about friendship today. So that's good. Yes. this is we all think that friendship is so easy. Shouldn't it be easier than this? But we always have our related dramas. So I guess this is no exception. Okay, our listener wants to know, what do I do when my best friend doesn't like the rest of my friends? He says that he feels belittled by them and can't be himself when they're around. Well, there's three things that come to mind, Lisa, and maybe there's other things, but this is what came to my mind. The first one, and probably the least on my hierarchy of concern is, yeah, maybe your friends are being mean to them and belittling them. Mm -hmm. um, I'm guessing that you probably would have picked up on that as part of the friend group. So that's not the biggest one, but that's that's one of the possibilities. Uh, the second possibility is that your best friend is a little insecure and overly sensitive and takes everything maybe to the extreme with that. That's not your friend group issue problem. That's your best friend's problem. And so talk to him about that. What struck me first, though, Lisa, and I don't want to, you know, have people think, well, I'm just overreacting because I'm a therapist and, you know, I'm one of those weird guys. But what came to mind first is this is a real subtle way of your best friend trying to isolate you from your support group so that he can gain better control over you. And, and the reason for that is I see two things. Uh, one is he seems to be pressing a very gentle pick me over them. And that's a way of isolating you from your support group, from those around that could speak truth into your life. And the only information you get is from him, him alone. That's one of the tactics that manipulative controlling personalities use all the time as starters. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing that I saw. The second one is he sounds like he's playing the victim role because it's it's poor me and it's your bad friend group that's belittling me. So putting those two things together because so, you know, protect me, look out for me, side with me over them. Those are two things, Lisa, that really perked my little spidey senses up and going, wait a minute. This may be a lot deeper than it sounds on the surface. So. Um, again, I may be wrong with that. In any case, though, here's what I'd suggest to our, our boundless listener is slow things down. Take a look at this scenario from yeah your friend group perspective, your best friend perspective, an outside kind of a fourth party looking in to really think about it seriously. Don't just jump to conclusions with that. Um, you ask boundless for our input. That's wise. Ask people who know your friend group, ask people who know your best friend for their perspective as well. And I mean, another option is, okay, get your best friend group and your best friend together and let's sit down and actually talk about this particular topic. And that may bring a lot of things to surface to help you make a, a better, wiser decision as to what's going on here. But my spidey senses really came up with this one as I read it over. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. And it is so weird because it could be, you know, it could be a um, a not super serious situation of this person projecting or whatever. But the fact is, I mean, even even an introvert extrovert kind of dynamic could play here of like, I don't want to hang out with this group because I like you as a friend to myself. And I like it when we have deep conversations. And I like it when but again, it's not like Again, we all we all have to be willing to enter into friendships and hold them with an open hand. We can't dictate terms <laughs> of every kind of friendship. So I right. think that's good that you're saying, you know, you need to get some objective eyes on this and be like, what's actually going on here? Because you don't want to shut anyone out, whether the friend group or this friend, if you maybe don't have all the facts. So um, it's just hard to go about getting kind of sometimes a straight story. Well, I, I call it the bowling alley theology. Mm -hmm. You know, you don't want to go too far to the left because mm -hmm. you get a gutter ball and it's no points. But at the same time, you don't want to go too far to the right and overreact because then you get a gutter ball to the <laughs> right and you don't get any points. Somewhere in the lane in the middle is where you want to be. And that's that hard part to kind of find that balance for, Lisa. And the facts, the information, other people's perspective can help you keep your bowling ball in the lane instead of either gutter. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks so much for, for weighing in on that. 
Um, Folks, we are at the end of this week's show. And of course, we want you to write to us uh, with one of your questions. We love it when we can answer them uh, directly. And so you can do that by writing to us at editor at boundless.org or just DM us on one of our social channels. That could be Instagram or Facebook. And we would love to answer your question on a future show or just reach out and say hi. I mean, hey, we're in summer, y'all. Pop by if you can for a visit. If you're coming through Colorado, we love that as well. We want to take a picture with you, say hi, maybe sit down for ice cream or something like that. So in the meantime, I will see you around next week. It's Lisa Anderson for The Boundless Show. The Boundless Show is a production of Boundless.org. Focus on the family. It can be challenging to inspire your community to see life the way God sees it. So what's the solution? Well, on June 15th, Focus on the Family is hosting Sea Life 24. And no matter where you are or who you are, you can be a part of this free event with speakers like Ben and Kirsten Watson and real stories about choosing life. Sea Life 24 will inspire you to translate your faith into action. Register today at sealife24.org.